0: Thank you, worship team. Good job. Amen. And I want to give a little extra shout-out for Alpha. It's um, one of my favorite uh, uh, courses, classes, groups that we have here. And uh, I've uh, led it a couple times. Uh, and uh, it's really awesome. If you have uh, you know responded to an invitation lately and made a fresh commitment to God or your first-time commitment, I especially encourage you to go to Alpha. Uh, by the way, uh, they have new updated material from the last time, and it's really fantastic. So uh, also, if you're just, maybe you've been around the church for a long time, and you've been a Christian a long time, but you have, you really can't answer the questions, why Jesus? Why did Jesus have to die? Why do we pray? You really can't have that conversation with anybody so you just n- would like to uh, Alpha's is great i just want to really push alpha and also get out there and sign up for a community group today i know a lot of folks wait and, and you want to think about it but but when you wait then the groups fill up and also i want one more thing about gr- groups well we generally i generally hear a report somewhere that somebody uh, didn't get in a group maybe you went to one group and tried to sign up, it got full, uh, you know, groups can only handle so many people. So they do fill up. And then you go to a second, maybe a third one doesn't work, and then I hear there's frustration. I don't want that. We want to, we're we're looking for ways to solve that and fix that. We haven't totally come up with a solution yet. Uh, uh, but we want, let us know. If you end up in that place Well, I went for three groups, and they were all full, and I'm frustrated, and I guess the church doesn't care about me. I mean. Please, we really do care about you. So uh, get in touch with Brandy or myself. Our email address is out there. I think everybody has my phone number. Uh, so get in touch with us and let us know if something's not working for you. We're going to do our best to make it work for you because groups are really important uh, to, our, to your spiritual growth and to our community. A quick announcement, I'm just going to read it for you. That way it will be quicker. We'll be ratifying one or two trustees for the BCC trustee board next Sunday at our congregational meeting. If you're, not, if you're a voting member of the church, you may go to Connection Central after church and submit any suggestion you have for names that we will pass on to the nominating team. We will submit our recommendations to you at the next uh, meeting next Sunday. All officers of this church shall be members of BCC filled with the Holy Spirit, living consistent Christian lives and demonstrating that this church is a high priority to them and have a record of faithfully supporting the churches with their tithes and offerings and attending services regularly. Okay, we're getting a new series, new seasons, new series are always fun and always exciting. And um, I want to say something about the message today, because we're talking about a family, the family that prays. I want to talk about our approach to listening and our approach to studying Scripture. We often make our initial approach to Scripture looking for application. Look at what, okay, what do I do? God, tell me what to do. I I, I want to fix this problem in my life. Tell me what to do. Uh, my my children are out of control. I want to, God, ch- tell me how to get them under control. I want to fix my marriage. Tell me how to fix it. I, I, I want to have, I want to have that Christian family that you're preaching about today. I, I want that for me. I want that for my family. Well, uh, I God, show me how to do it. So we read the Bible looking for application and looking for formulas. Part of that's a Western mindset. Part of that's a Western world view that we believe in solving problems. You go to third world countries and eastern countries, a lot of times they'll let people be just lay on the side of the road and not do anything for them. They see it as Fate part of the magic of being of living in the western world is that we believe in solving problems and that's part of what makes uh, has made us a great country because we don't we we don't we don't want our poor people to be laying on we don't want people to be sick so we fix things and we create things and, we, and that's become a that's become a part of our life so that's a good thing by the way not a bad thing and the bible does have formulas and application and the bible will tell you what to do but wait a minute before I want you to try something else. Before you look to the Bible and listen to sermons for application and formulas, listen to sermons and read the Bible for understanding. So everybody say the word understanding. You can't always get a formula or an application every time you read a scripture, but you can always get understanding. And if you live with understanding long enough, you will discover formulas. You will discover applications, but application is not the same for everybody. That's why the preacher can't get up and tell everybody exactly what to do about their situation. If you if you're just coming to Jesus Christ and you have you have a 16 year old and a 14 year old, your way of leading to a family, a Christ-centered family is going to be different than somebody who has a four-year-old and a six-year-old. It's going to be, a, I, I don't really recommend today you hear this sermon and you've got uh, teenagers and you're just coming to faith. I don't really recommend you go home and rip down all their posters and tear up all their music. And Now, that may be what you ought to do. You may have a family, you may have a family structure and you may have your authority so well established that you can do that and it'll work great. But it probably won't. You probably need a more gradual approach to turning the Queen Mary around and making your family a Christ-centered family. So listen to the sermon today to understand God's truth. Somebody said this, and I love it. Our quickest and most potent weapon in life is to agree with truth. God's truth. It's really that simple. Our most potent weapon in life is to agree with truth. What you believe and what you agree with is the starting point for all positive change. And it's so powerful. It's so powerful when you start to believe something. In fact, the danger of rushing to application is you will often do things you don't really believe. You will try them to see if it will work. I would rather you believe it. I would rather you become convinced. And then apply it. Then start to do it. Now, we're going to give you some tools for applying, and we hope you will use them. Now, let's talk about family, family the praise. Many, many years ago, uh, uh, I don't know, Christy was a little girl, and uh, I, I don't remember exactly. I think she was maybe 12, 13 years old. We are riding along in the car one day, and we always had some really good conversations riding along in the car. One day, one day, she said to me, she says, she's always... Uh, Here's the thing. See, I, I'm a, my personality. I'm melancholy, phlegmatic. If you know anything about personality types, well, everybody in my family is choleric. Every single one of them. I think I don't know about Elise so much, but but they're all cholerics, which means they're they're very boom opinion, strong. You know, state it like it is. You know. And um, so, Christian I write along one day, and she, and she goes, Dad. And my mind was off somewhere, and she was prattling, and I wasn't listening. And she said, Dad, stop spending time with yourself. <laughs> she, she was about four years old when that happened. But this other day, when she's older, she says to me one day, Dad, why don't you preach on the family? And I said, oh, Christy, I, I'm not very good at it. And I, what I really meant was I, I, I just, even as a father, I don't know if I'm doing this right, is what I meant. I don't know if I'm getting this right. I'm trying but I'm not sure that I'm getting it right. That's what I meant. I didn't mean I wasn't good at preaching about it. I mean, I don't know if I'm great at doing it. And she says to me, that's no excuse. <laughs> I've never forgotten this. So, Christy, I'm going to preach about the family, okay? I want to do two things. I want to combine the theme of prayer, which is what we will talk about in January because we're leading to the week of prayer and the theme of a healthy and Christ-centered family because we want 2018 to be the year of the family here. Now, you would expect us to try and move you to be a Christ-centered family, now, wouldn't you? After all, this is a Christian church. (laughs) So just so we're on the same page, we're going to do that. We're going to try to help you have a Christian home. Now, I'm not going to try to get you to do something you don't want to do. I'm not going to try to move you into something that you will not automatically or naturally do. I'm not going to try to do that. Chris Brady said something I really like. He said, a leader doesn't make you do something against your will. A leader encourages you to do something against your habits. No, you've got to want this. you got to want this, because this is hard. This is difficult. Creating a Christ-centered family is hard work. It requires a lot of diligence, and a lot of humility, and a lot of get up and try again. So I'm not trying to get you to do something against your will, but I will encourage you to do things that are against your habits. Evidently, little Johnny, by the way, all boys in preacher's sermons are named Johnny. Preacher sermon illustrations are named Johnny, and all little girls are named Susie. This is a Johnny one. He was spending the night at grandma and grandpa's, and uh, that was a house. They were a house that were interested in Christ and her family. And so he was kneeling beside his bed with his grandparents when it's time to go to sleep. And in his quiet inside voice, he prays, Dear God, please bless mommy and daddy and all the family. Thank you for letting me stay with grandma and grandpa tonight. Bless them and, bless, and please give us all a good night's sleep. And then, then he raised his voice and shouted real loud. Oh, God, please don't forget to give me a bicycle for my birthday. And Grandma goes, now, 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 son, you don't need to shout at God. He's not deaf. He said, Oh, I know God's not deaf, but Grandpa is. <laughs> so kudos to that family. They had a Christ-centered and a little bit of Grandpa-centered. We understand that, don't we, Papa? Today I want you to talk, I'll talk to you specifically about what I call family identity and the two things that will make it more likely that your family's identity will be Christian. Those two things are, listen carefully, we're going to get back to them in a minute, though. Two things are a belief in household faith rather than mere self-discovery. Belief in household faith, rather than mere self-discovery by each member of the family to find out what works for them. But household faith. The second thing is grasping the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, as a document for shaping the family's relationship and the family's orientation toward God versus it being just a meaningless exercise in a poem that we quote that's a part of a religious duty. Now growing up in my home, there was never a doubt that the most important priority in my family was that we would have a relationship with God and it would be firmly rooted in Jesus Christ. Now we weren't religious nuts. I grew up loving sports, spicy food, and country music. That's the trifecta for being a normal person in my book. There's, However, there was one thing I knew about my parents' priority for my brother and I. I knew that even if I were to walk across the stage and receive a degree from Harvard University, I don't know why anybody in Texas would ever want to go to Harvard when you could go to Texas University, but you relate to Harvard. But if I walked across the stage at the most prestigious school, university in the world with the highest degree, if I had turned my back on faith in Jesus Christ, I know my parents would have been sitting in that audience with tears of sadness in their eyes. And they would have said something to me at the graduation party, son, we're praying for you. That's also true in my family. My children, I want to put this up for you because I want you to know it. My children know that nothing will impress their mother and I like a strong faith in Christ. And a growing resemblance to Christ. Nothing is as important as that to us. So I'm going to challenge you with the question, parents what do you want? What do you really want? What's most important to you for your children? I remember uh, my brother strayed far, quite a ways from my parents. Desire and that simple country faith that these simple country people had that I grew, they raised me. Um, It was common for me when my brother hit about 16, he really went very rebellious and just out of control in so many ways. He was uh, uh, secretly behind my parents' back, joined a rock and roll band. He was uh, drinking quite a bit, I know. Uh smoking all those bad habits that are out there. And uh, I, I, was, I remember coming home from school, I could hear my mother wailing. And I know this is, this is going to sound strange but This is what I mean about application. This might not be how you will do it. That's okay. But uh, I hope you will have the passion my mother had. And uh, I would find my mother in her room lying on the floor weeping and asking God, To save her boy. Because to her, she had embraced a struggle. This was a struggle between darkness and light. This was a struggle between evil and good. And her boy was going down. Uh, My dad, I would hear him. My dad's prayers were not as descriptive as my mother's. And he he prayed in code. Uh, (laughs) He would go. We had a junk room. And my dad, I would hear him out of the junk room. Going, Heavenly Father, lead, guide, and direct. Lead, guide, and direct. And you know, it, I think he meant all the things Mom meant, but you would never know by hearing him. To to put all this in context, uh, this was the '60s, and my brother was saying he's 17 now, and he was saying when I graduate, which would have been the next uh, spring. When I graduate, I'm going to let my hair grow out and I'm moving to California. And to put that in in, in an even sharper context, one of his former classmates was a guy named Charles Watson. And many of you have heard of Charles Watson and you know who I'm talking about. You might know him as Tex Watson. But Charles Watson lived in the town a few miles from us and my brother used to ride the school bus with him. And Charles Watson, went to California in, during that period of time and met a guy named Charles Manson. And text, or Charles was the, according to accounts I've read, was the person who plunged the knife into Sharon Tate and killed a very pregnant Sharon Tate. Fortunately, if you re- follow his story, you know he's in prison today and will be there until he dies. But has become a Christian, has has come to faith in Christ, and very outspoken about his faith. And thank God for that. But my brother would would uh, would have been one of those people. He well, we, dr- drugs were not very prominent in our town. I, I never really heard of anybody in in which is strange in the 60s, right? But we never really heard of people doing drugs. But uh, uh, my brother would have tried anything anyone handed him. He would have done. It. He would have done that. Uh, so. Uh, I remember. I'll never forget. It, it so so stands out so vividly to me that uh, my brother had a fifty-five Ford, a a blue and aqua, a white and aqua blue fifty-five Ford. Doesn't that just make your heart beat faster, right, guys? Come on, <laughs> that's anointed. <laughs> but it, it was a beautiful car, but. He had blown the transmission, so the pieces of the transmission are all over the driveway. And, I, him and some buddies are trying to get it back together. That afternoon, my mother, I'm, I'll never forget, it's like time stood still for me. My mother goes to Joe, not demanding. She had kind of lost authority. Her dad had kind of lost authority at that point. She goes to Joe, and with a tear in her eye and a, kind of a plea in her voice, would you please go to church tonight? And Joe said, okay, I'll go. Joe and I walked up. I don't remember if the parents drove or what, but we walked. We walked up to that little church called South Side Assembly of God, McKinney, Texas. We sat on the back row as far away from the action as, as Joe could get. Is where we sat. And I sat next to him, and all during the service, he barely looked up, and he thumbed through a songbook just to, just to occupy his mind with something that wasn't going on in that service. And Tra- a guy named Travis Bates preached that night, and I know that Joe didn't hear anything the man said because he's looking down. He's preoccupied. At the end of the message, as was typical in in an evangelical church in those days, they're going to get an altar call at the end that if you want to spend eternity with God, you need to walk down here and accept Jesus as your Savior. And I, I sense my brother's arm going up. Because they would say, "Raise your hand." You know, those of you who came from evangelical background, Baptist, whatever. You know that I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. It was common in the service uh, liturgy. <laughs> and so, and so I, I could feel my brother's hand go up, and I remember I couldn't close my, I couldn't keep my eyes closed, and I couldn't open them. My eyes are going like this. I can't, what's he doing? He's raising his hand. He must have misunderstood. He he must have thought that there was that uh, 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 there was a dating opportunity or something, you know. <laughs> he must have thought there's, there's going to be a singles meeting in the back or something. Uh, you know, it, it couldn't, he couldn't have heard what the guy just asked him to do. And he raises his hands and he goes down front and he cries and he accepts Jesus as his Savior. And we walked home without a word that night. Went into the house. Nobody was speaking. Because everybody was afraid, it was like fragile. We don't want to say the wrong thing. Joe has got saved. (laughs) We go into our room, and Joe brings the Bible. He said, "Let's pray." I mean, it was like it—it was so dramatic. It it was—it was—and I've heard people say it was a 360-degree turn. No, it was 180 degrees. We got too many 360-degree turns. People turn around and go the same way. <laughs> no, he, it was a 180. It was a 180. <sighs> we prayed. Next morning, I watched him take his Bible, and, and nobody told him to do any of this stuff, and nobody did this stuff. He put his Bible on top of all his school books. He, he's a senior in high school, and he walks into McKinney High School with, with his book, with his Bible on top of his books. And the first thing that happened, some kid jumped at him and said, your hero got killed. And Joe says, yeah, but he rose again on the third day. <laughs> now, boy, I look at where life has taken us. And now Joe's now the homeless people in Atlanta have a pastor. And uh, I, I don't have time to tell you about Joe meets a pastor's daughter gets married. Now his daughter is married to Jimmy Mayo, the fourth. And every, every Jimmy Mayo has been a preacher, every one of them. Jimmy the first. Jimmy the first built about 14 churches in the state of Georgia. And some, some of you are aware of a woman named Jeannie Mayo. It was all part of that Mayo clan. See, the river of anointing is getting brought wider and deeper because, you know why? Well, it's because of whatever. It's because I had a praying mom and a praying dad. That's why. That's why. That's why I'm here today. Because I was starting to follow my brother. My brother was the coolest person I had ever seen. Now, you're not going to get everything you plan for, but you're going to get a lot more of what you plan for than what you don't. Now, I'll go along with what lot that the world dictates to me, which is why I quit wearing bell-bottom pants and sporting an afro. But that world isn't going to tell me the destiny I'm supposed to have for my kids—that world is not going to tell me that. That's me and the Lord's decisions and my wife's decisions. Household faith. See, what let's let's talk about those two things right now. Household faith was a given in ancient Hebrew culture, but the arrival of the gospel through Jesus Christ introduced the idea of a personal relationship with God, and because it did it's possible to miss the norm of family faith. Remember, before Israel was seen as a nation, she was a family. Israel was a family. Israel was a man's name, and that man had 12 boys. They were formerly known as Jacob, and those those 12 sons were the building block of a culture that found its meaning and its purpose in the one true God. And when we get into the book of Acts, which showed the beginning of the go- what we call the gospel culture around Jesus Christ, household faith, what we have missed in the modern-day church, I believe, we've missed that household faith was just as prominent in the New Testament as it was in the Old Testament. It was just as prominent. And let me give you four examples of that. First is the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas, two apostles, they get put in jail. Long story short, they begin to pray and praise and sing to God. They're locked in jail. They're locked in stocks. Their arms and their hands were locked in stocks. And they begin to pray. And miraculously, the power of God came and opened the jail. And this jailer comes in. And they, he asks how he can be saved and how he can have salvation. And here's what happened. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and and to all the others. At that hour of the night, the jailer tucked him and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. He, He didn't go, well, I want to let my kids decide for themselves. This is what I believe, but I want to make sure they don't just believe what I believe. Well, you don't believe anything very good then. If what you believe is not good for your children. Here's another one. Let me give you three more quickly. Crispus, the synagogue, he was a synagogue ruler and he comes to faith. And here's what they said. Then Paul left the synagogue, went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. How have we missed this household faith? It's all over the New Testament. Let me go to one more. Lydia, a woman who was an entrepreneur. She was a seller of purple. And I never really researched that to find out how purple could be a business, but it was a business. Acts chapter 16 says, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. Now, this was a patriarchal culture, so this was pretty cool, right? She invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Back to verse 13, when she and the members of her household were baptized. I mean, you all heard if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Well, that family was, if mom is saved, everybody's going to get saved. Kids, get ready. We're gonna, you're going to be baptized. All right. I love it. I love it. Cornelius was this Italian officer, military officer. As far as we know, the first non-Jewish person to ever come to faith in Christ. And Simon Peter, who had this huge problem with racism, wasn't going to let the Gentiles know. He wasn't going to let people like you and me know that there was anything possibly for us. We could just go to hell in his way of thinking, right? But God got a hold of him and made him go preach the gospel to Cornelius. It says in Acts chapter 11, verse 12, six brothers also went with me. I like that there. And we entered the man's house. So six brothers, some family came and got him. And he told us how he had seen an angel appear in the house and say, Send a Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Then there's this rather mysterious passage, 1 Corinthians 7:14, that teaches that even the faith of one spouse has a sanctifying impact on the children. That passage says the children are holy. Now, can there be any doubt that the normative pattern is that our children will follow our faith? For Sherry and I, having children who do not follow our faith in Christ, is the most unacceptable thing there is. Sure, in the end, it's their decision. Absolutely. Just like personal hygiene is their decision. Intellectual development. Civility. But you are unlikely to raise a child who will have good personal hygiene if they've never been forced to use soap and water. I said, you will unlikely have a child who will have good hygiene if you never made them take a bath. But you would never dream of having a child that's not taught to bathe. Would you? I hope not. I hope not. I don't hear any amens. I'm worried. (laughs) Is there some of you out there that don't believe hygiene should be forced on your children? Somebody said amen. So somebody's out there that doesn't believe it that your children should be forced to clean their bodies. You're you're unlikely to raise a a mental giant that you do not force them to go to school. You're you're, you're, You're very unlikely to raise an intellectual that you don't make sure they know how to read. And you're very unlikely to raise a very well-mannered child if they're allowed to act like they're being raised by wolves. You're being quiet out there today. I'm worried. I'm really worried. I thought I thought you would really relate to this. See, a lot of us are sitting around, we're wringing our hands about this 70% attrition rate that we have of kids who leave the church and don't come back. And they almost lead, you know what it always leads to? A conversation of, What's wrong with the church? We've come up with every solution, you know, better pizza parties for youth, more youth retreats, but we skip the one place where faith really starts, and that is in the home. And that's not to shame you, but to equip you. Parents, you have power. Look Look at one another right now and say, Parents have power. Alice Walker said, the most common way people give up their power is by thinking they don't have any. I said, I love that. The most common people, way that people give up their power is by thinking they don't have any. Mom, dad, get up every morning before you see those kids and say, I have power today. God has given me power. God has anointed me. God has anointed me as a prophet and a pastor, and a priest to this household. This is my church. This is my church. This is the place where, where spirituality, this is the place where God will be known. And I am the anointed minister of the gospel that, that for, to occupy this, this address. The church at this address, this is my church. And this is the place where Christ will shine through this pastor and this priest of this household. And there's no better equipping passage in the Bible than the Lord's Prayer. We're going to go through it warp speed right now. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. The Lord's Prayer is the equipping document for getting us correctly oriented to God. See, prayer is two things. It's a practice, but more importantly, prayer is a posture. I'm not going to talk to you today about prayer as a practice much, but as a posture. Every know anyone who has the practice of prayer, but doesn't have any... Ability to appear or appear to have the grasp of the posture of prayer. The Our Father is not about the practice of prayer. It's about the posture of prayer. The Disciples had heard Jesus pray. They had prayed with him. So what he said in those words weren't meant just to be repeated. Because he had never said the Lord's Prayer. He had prayed about whatever he prayed about. I think sometimes he probably just wept. Sometimes he probably just laughed. But he didn't pray the Lord's Prayer. Or they wouldn't have had to ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. They meant, we don't understand how you think about prayer. We don't understand how you think about the Heavenly Father. We don't understand how you think about heaven and earth. The disciples heard him pray, but they couldn't see the posture of prayer and the practice of prayer. You know, in aeronautics, attitude is the orientation of the aircraft to the sky and earth. In the Lord's prayer, our attitude is the orientation of our life to the orientation of our life to heaven and earth. It's the orientation of our life to heaven and earth. That's what Jesus is teaching in the Lord's Prayer. We believe in the practice of prayer. In fact, we have some amazing tools to help you during the series. We have produced a beautiful family prayer journal for you to do with your family. There, or there's one for you to do privately. There's an adult and a kid's prayer journal that's available to you. You can go on the app. You go right now on the app if you want to, and you can download it. You can grab the two prayer journals that are going to be available to you and to help you establish a family altar. You'll have, you'll, you'll have to start building a posture or a position toward God, but you can also do the practice. Uh, and so if you, if you don't uh, have a, a device or you don't want to do the app, There's going to be ushers at the back on the way out to hand you a paper copy, hard copy, of the two prayer journals that are available for you. So we're going to help you with the practice of prayer. But this morning, I'm not trying to teach you about the practice. I want to teach you about the posture. Make no mistake. The practice of prayer is always less important than the posture. The action is less important than the attitude. What is your family's orientation to heaven and earth? The family altar is not an occasional event, but an ongoing conversation in the home on how God presides, guides, and provides. That's what the Lord's Prayer teaches. The family altar is designed by God to, perfect, to protect the family from the sin that is in us and the dark forces that attack us. That's what the Lord's Prayer is about. That's what the Our Father is about. Let's break it down to better grasp the fact that Jesus wasn't just giving us a poem we could repeat as a religious duty, but he was equipping us with a rock-solid foundation rightly relating to God. Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come. That's teaching me that the family altar is an ongoing conversation in the home on how God presides or how he is present God is the unseen guest. You believe. I Remember what I said in the beginning of the sermon. I want to get you to agree with some things. That you agree with me that God is the unseen guest at every meal. The divine participant in every conversation. And the wise observer of every family event. You know what courtesy is? Courtesy, when you open the door for someone, you're being courteous. You know what that, you know why? You're, you're letting them know, I'm aware of your presence. When you say, excuse me. You're letting a person know, I'm aware of your presence. Courtesy to God is a demonstration of awareness that in your home, you are aware of the presence of God. Amen? Yeah, you can give the Lord a hand for that. That's truth. (laughs) Uh, Your will be done. That says that the family altar is an ongoing conversation in the home of how God guides Two questions will guide this part of your your story in your home, in your narrative. See, see yourself as writing a story, as writing God's story in your home. Two questions will guide this narrative. If in your conversation you will regularly ask two questions, what does the Bible say and what does God think? What does the Bible say? Now, I told you I wasn't going to give you formulas prescription, but I will give you a little bit of prescription. Ask the question, what does the Bible say, and what does God think? Now, you, you may not even know, but it's the right question It will lead you. If you ask the right questions, you will be led to the right answers. If you ask the wrong questions, you will never find the right answers. Begin to ask, what does God think, and what does the Word of God say? Use that with your children. Let them know that you are under the authority of God you know how to have more authority is get under authority. That's how you have more authority, is you get under the authority of God. In earth as it is in heaven, this divine guidance, this is what it means, this divine guidance is superior to local, cultural, and secular wisdom. See, in the New, it's not that different. We, we think our times are totally different. But in the New Testament, there was a swirl of supposed wisdom that was swirling in the culture. From the demands of Caesar, you do what I say, Caesar believed he was divine. The divine Caesar to the intellectualism of the Greeks to the traditionalism of the Jews. But in the face of it all, this is such an important point, in the face of it all, the early church said, He is Lord. He is risen from the dead, and He is Lord. That's what I want you to begin to say in your home He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. I want you to begin to say that the wisdom of God is superior to the wisdom of man. Give us today our daily bread. That means the family altar is an ongoing conversation in the home of how God provides. Boy, I I, I need an hour on this one. Am I going to take it? I remember, again, this is my day for Christy stories. We were outgrew our little building down on Grant Street after a, a year and a half or so. And the lady in the church had come by and said, I found a, a place, there's a it's a, a with an aerobics place, part of a doctor's office. And it might be you might want to look at it, Pastor. And I remember driving out there and boy, that was like that was like trying to borrow half a million dollars to, to us then. And I drove out there with Christy and we and we held hands. And I'm going to say something that's really weird, and you're not going to understand it. I don't have time to explain it. But I do this thing in my private prayer life called praying in other tongues. I know that's weird. and That's okay. I think it's weird, too. I don't understand it, but it works. And we be, I began to pray in my prayer language that God would give us that property. And God did. And everybody knows Sherry's famous line. We all shake and tremble when she says this. I'm going to pray about it. (laughs) Whenever she decides and feels led to do something or have something, we should have that building, that building. Uh, Sherry, I don't know. I don't see it. Well, I'll pray about it. What am I going to do? She gets God on her side. That's what she said about the. 49 Linwood Ave. We're happy places. Sherry, we can't do this. Well, I'm going to pray about it. That that was how she approached what was the Planned Parenthood office downtown Milford. And um, uh, we uh, we checked to see if it was available because we began to be interested in doing crisis pregnancy center. And... um, uh, the realtor said, oh, they've got a five-year lease. But <laughs> Sherry prayed about it. And they, they were gone in six weeks. <laughs> now we, we have our crisis center in there right now. And we're already seeing people. And whole, already stories are pouring in of people. lives are being touched. Does your family know anything about a God who provides? Or do you just grab, pull the old credit card out immediately? Do you ever pray? Do you ever lead them in prayer? This is, by the way, this is a good. If you want formulas, this is a, a good place to start. Praying about God's provision. I remember one time my brother had warts growing in his arm, and he sits down on the couch with his mother. He says, look here, mom. She she lays her hands on the warts and starts praying, and three days later they were gone. Now I wish everything worked like that. I doesn't, but I wish it did. But you know what that does to a kid? You know what I know the maths inside, We don't have time to tell all your stories of God's providing. Man, and I don't have time. I, I could preach a whole series on telling you how God provides. Finally, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. A, what, this is so important. Oh, this needs a sermon series. A well maintained home family altar protects the home. A well maintained family altar protects the home from the sin inside us in the dark forces around us. A cornerstone of a Christian worldview is that there are dark forces trying to sow division among us and steal righteousness from us. You can't be a successful parent if you don't struggle with the dark forces. Your resolve as a Christian parent must be we appeal to our Father in Heaven to prevent the dark forces from sowing discord and unforgiveness in our family and between us and stealing the purity and holiness from us. It's a long story, and I can't tell it, but I, there was an event in Jason's life when there was a person in his life that Sherry and I knew wasn't... We knew, and we felt bad for him, but he, he, he was representing a dark force in our kid's life. And we were struggling. You know, you had that struggle. Do we, you know, we want to accept people. We want to accept them, but we see what he's doing. We don't want him to do this to our... God's given me responsibility for Jason, not him. His, his dad's responsible for him. And his dad wasn't doing his job, and I—I'll rem- never forget a long event. It's a long story. We prayed for God's guidance, and we did something, and we prayed for God's guidance, and we prayed. And I remember the day. I remember it like it was yesterday. Looking out a little narrow window at our house on Debbie Lane, and I watched this young man walking down the sidewalk. And I figured, oh, he's coming to my house. And that was just when we thought that relationship was was over. He got in front of our house, and he just kept walking. And he turned the corner and went to somebody else's house. And I knew at that moment we had won the victory. I knew at that moment that we had won the victory, that we needed to win. Now, I'm not telling you that you ought to run everybody else from your kid's life or any of that. That's why I said you've got to learn to pray. You've got to learn to seek God and you've got to know. But I'm telling you, this is a spiritual warfare we're in. It's a struggle. And you must, that passage of scripture, that, of that part of the Lord's prayer, is about the struggle. The struggle with dark forces that want to destroy your family and get all kinds of addictions and all kinds of garbage into your family and ruin your destiny. Ruin the destiny that you're supposed to have with your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. The, the devil hates family. The devil hates marriage. He hates he hates anything. Remember, and, and remember that, that, that the Lord said in, back in Genesis. The seed of woman, he said, will bruise your head. That's what he said to the devil. The seed of woman. What's a seed of woman? A child. It's a little kid. It's a little boy, a little girl. No wonder the devil wants to rob you of your little boys and your little girls. Do you hear what I'm saying? What's at stake? Three things. The authority and influence of the heavenly father. There are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, all right, then have it your way. The upward pull of the heavenly glory and dignity. One thing to get straight is that the values of earth pull us down to our basest and dirtiest selves, while the values of heaven pull us up to our most noble and dignified selves. Thirdly, the hope of of assurance and eternal togetherness. No matter how you interpret the concept of hell and the grave, and I know I grew up, it was a place of burning fire and sulfur and dark, you know. I don't know. that I'm, I'm, I'm okay that if it's, there, there's some metaphors. I, I don't know. But no matter how you interpret it, one thing is clear, and that is heaven is eternal togetherness and hell is eternal separation. I am determined to spend eternity with my wife and kids and my brother and his family. Amen. Can we stand to our feet today? I understand that this can be a really heavy message uh, for, for many of you. It's, it's natural for me because I've lived in this my whole life. And my four uncles were preachers. And you know, I'm, I'm in this gospel-saturated culture of my life. I understand that's not where most of you are coming from. I want you to know that God is very tender toward you. I want you to know that I want you to know that God is very tender and I also want you to know that those of us who've lived gospel saturated cultures in our family I want you to know uh, i didn't get I didn't tell you about the difficult stuff today I didn't tell you about our our, our struggles I didn't tell you about all that we' only have so much time up here so i don't have I didn't have time to really tell you about it. It's not, a, you know, there's no perfection on this stage. No perfection on this stage with any of us. You know, you, we've had yelling matches, screaming matches, all the stuff probably that you can imagine. How, you know, stuff that happens in our family too. But God is always in the midst of us. Jesus Christ is always there to restore us and forgive us. And it's, it's, a, it's a standard to run back to. It's a, it, the bar is Jesus and we keep even when we fall short we, we know where the bar is so you may need prayer today for your family I want you to come and be prayed for I want some of you to come down here who want your child's salvation your your spouse's salvation I want you to come down here and ask these prayer partners to pray with you would you do that and pray that God will be in the center of your family Father in Jesus name I dedicate this response time to you that will accomplish the purpose that you've ordained it to accomplish in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come pray. Let's enter into response time.